0: Hello and welcome to the In Conversation. I'm Nikki Cross from the future. I'm recording this about 170 episodes in. We're currently in June 2023 and I just thought I'd record an introduction to my earlier episodes for this simple reason. My sister was at breakfast the other day in a cafe and she overheard a lady saying to her friend, I have just found the inner white conversation. It's really, really useful. I'm going to go right the way to the beginning and work my way through the episodes. And it immediately made me want to try and contact this lady who I have no idea who she is and be like, no, don't do that. Because this, this podcast, it's been going for a few years. And during that time, I have grown. I have changed. I have evolved. I have grown more confident in my abilities and in my competence, not just in my podcasting abilities, but also in what I do with my clients. I've become much more sure about who I best work with, who I best serve and how we can best Have conversations around the topics that are meaningful to the people who I work with. And so it makes me want to go, oh, God, no, listen to the more recent episodes. That's where you're going to get your best value. That's where you're going to get your best insights. And it also, to be honest, makes me go, oh, in those older episodes, I sound different. I sound different because I was trying really hard. I was trying really hard to be liked and accepted. I was trying really hard to find my place in this in this space and i think it comes through i think that you can hear that and i'll be honest there's some old old episodes that i've gone back and i've thought oh that that's made me cringe or i actually disagree with myself and so it leaves me with the question why wouldn't i take the old episodes down and my simple answer is this as we all navigate life and business we all evolve and we all grow and there is always going to be an older version of us that we wish we'd have said things differently or we wish wish we'd have done things differently. Like for example, at the beginning of my business, I wish that I'd have been much more confident in who I worked with and how I can serve them and really back in my own, you know, opinions around certain things. But I can't go back. None of us can. None of us can go back to a previous version of ourselves and rewrite time. And so I'm leaving all of my older episodes in for one reason, only and that is because I want you to take these older episodes and take them for what they are a demonstration of someone growing and evolving and learning in public and I I say all of this and I introduce this episode with the hope that that not only inspires you but also helps you to give yourself permission to grow and evolve and learn in public. So many of us just won't put ourselves out there for fear that it's not going to be good enough, and you know it's not going to be right and when i when I listen back to my original my my initial podcast episodes, it's not good enough, and it's not right by my standards now, but it was back then. Everyone has to start somewhere we all have to start somewhere we can't just rock up to something and be who we want to be or have the quality that we want to have from day one. So with what you're about to listen to, please, please know that as these podcasts, as the numbers roll on, the more me you will hear me get, but that's the more me now. Yeah. And that's not to say that there isn't value and insight in these older episodes. It's just letting you know that this is my version of growing and evolving out loud. So with all that said, let's get into the episode. Welcome to episode 24 of the Inner Work Conversation, a podcast I've created for business owners and leaders just like you. This podcast is dedicated to making sure that you feel empowered and reassured that you are totally not alone. I'm Nikki Cross, founder and CEO of Thrive Life and Business and in today's episode I want to share with you my biggest lessons so far from my failures, my journey in life and in business and specifically what I did and what I've learned from my mistakes that I've made and experiences that I've had. But before I do dive in I want to thank you so much for your recent reviews of the podcast over on iTunes, and I actually want to share with you one that I've picked out today, written by E and M's (laughs) mum, which reads... Every episode is a revelation for me. Each time I listen, I take away something that helps me grow. Thanks, Nikki. Well, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for sharing this feedback. I am truly, truly grateful for each podcast episode listen. When that number goes up, I genuinely express gratitude for whoever that was, just that they spent half an hour with me. So thank you. And getting feedback as well is just wonderful. So thank you so much for that generosity. And without further ado let's dive straight in. So I recently asked over on Instagram what podcast you'd like next and this topic was the winner, closely followed by a QA and a and an episode on boundaries in business. So you're definitely keeping me busy <laughs> but it's wonderful because the more feedback that I get from you the more i know i'm on the right track which is tricky when it's just me and a microphone so thank you so much for giving me that input what i do want to let you know before i jump into this episode is i'm mentioning in here some potentially triggering topics such as grief so if you're not in a place where listening to this would be empowering for you right now i'll leave it in your capable hands to decide if this is going to be a good episode for you to listen to um so to dive straight in Today is about my biggest lessons from my most difficult times in life and in business and if you haven't listened to episode 22, the last episode, I talk in there about my most recent success which was achieving my May goal by the end of April. But I feel like to talk about that without giving you more context around what it's truly taken for me to get to this point, it leaves a big gaping hole, a huge gap in a story that I want to share with you to the point where today I'm going to lift the lid. I'm going to share with you what have been my hardest, most difficult, darkest moments of my life, personally and professionally. And then also share with you what I've taken from them. So I've got three, three of the hardest but most transformative times of my life that have helped me to develop to who I am today. So let's dive straight into the first one. First one is I wouldn't have become who I am today. Who I am today is formed from the most devastating heartbreak that I've ever had, which was losing my mum. Up until the age of 31, I was still attached by the umbilical cord. <laughs> I was. I wasn't a grown-up at all. My mum was my biggest cheerleader. She was the truth-teller. She was the supporter. She was the role model. She was just an absolute force. Any time that I needed encouragement, I'd call my mum. Was the chicken okay to eat? I'd ask my mum. Am I a good mum? I'd ask my mum. <laughs> Would I be okay in business, in life? alas my mom i was just so close to her she knew me better than i knew myself and so when she finally got the diagnosis of amyloidosis in august 2017 she had been poorly for about 2 years but when we got that of course like the whole world came crumbling down around us um for those of you who don't know because it's really rare amyloidosis is a really serious condition. It's um, caused by an abnormal build-up of abnormal protein called amyloid protein, and that build-up um, basically makes your organs not be able to work properly. Um, So that's what happened, but to give you some context, mum was... She was a, everyone used to call her a little pocket rocket, she used to cycle around the Wirral, mum was also the one, she was one of my son's primary carers, um, and when she passed, he was only nine, she would take him to school, she'd drop him home, she'd cook, she'd clean, she was a little fairy while we were both at work, and Jimmy and I were hustling for our careers, and um, And on that note, at the time, I was a people performance director in a really successful recruitment agency, and it was a very demanding role. Um, And mum was getting more and more sick with what seemed to be by the day, you know, to the point where she'd gone from cycling around the Wirral and being, you know, here, there and everywhere to... And, and basically being one of the fittest people that I knew to not being able to pick up JJ from school because she couldn't breathe properly. Um, and what's amazing is the moment I decided to have my notice in and stop working in an office was the moment I got a job offer in an amazing role where I could work from home, I could carve out a role supporting recruitment businesses with their learning and development strategies. Um, so isn't it funny how things work out? But sadly... Just a week before I was due to start my new role, mum actually passed away quite suddenly. Um, And before I go on to explain what this experience taught me, what I want to say is this. I'm talking here about grieving my mum. You don't have to experience death to experience grief. I know people who've experienced grief with infertility, secondary infertility, um, myself included. Um, I know that people who've experienced grief through breaking up with their romantic partner or lost a pet or have grieved their past self or have grieved the life that they had before the pandemic. You know, grief can come in many, many forms. And while I'm here in my first point talking about grieving my mum and what that's taught me, I definitely could apply the exact same lessons to the secondary infertility that I experienced, for example. So my hope is that in you listening to this and you listening to what I've learned in my lessons, you can listen to that and apply them to your own experiences of grief. So one of the things I'll never forget is right up at the last minute, mum was still teaching me about the adult that I needed to become. (laughs) Um, I actually drove her into the hospital that day and she was in the passenger side of the car and we were at traffic lights and they turned green and a teenage couple like cheekily stepped out in front of my car and I remember being, like, obviously, you know, it's a really tense situation, you know, you've got your mum in the passenger side of the car, really, really unwell, and I was just livid, I was livid, I was livid that I had my mum in my car with a, in a significant amount of pain and distress, I was livid with their carelessness as they laughed it off in front of me, and I, I was just about to give them a piece of my mind, like, wind down my window and... My mum just reached over to me and said, Nick, let it go. It's not important, is it? And in that moment, that one little comment, I don't even know how conscious she was at that point. My mum, she taught me to let go of anger in that moment. And it sounds like such an insignificant moment. You know, okay, someone stepped out in front of your car, big deal. But it wasn't. It It was a really pivotal moment for me when I look back. I think the message in that is anger doesn't serve us even when we think we're using it to aid others to teach others anger doesn't serve us letting go and, and learning does now don't get me wrong anger's not an emotion that i i think is unhealthy or unhelpful but anger is an unhealthy emotion to hold on to and repress it is healthy, and I and I've learned that if you can express anger in an empowering way, it can be really powerful. But I've learned that harboring it is possibly one of the most destructive things that you can do to yourself and the relationships around you. Um, and that lesson sort of got me through grieving her because it got me through. There was a lot of anger in that grieving because of you know the. I suppose some might say medical negligence that happened in that experience and that moment and that teaching from that, that learning from that moment, sorry, taught me not to harbour the anger over the injustice of losing her too soon and not being in control, you know, of a situation that you really want to be in control of and it also got me through the anger of seeing my little boy go through the grief of losing one of the closest people to him that was a really, really valuable lesson. But that's only one. Like losing mum taught me so much. It taught me how to accept help. When you're that low, you really don't have a choice. <laughs> and, you know, especially because I was about to launch myself into this new job that I would just got. Before mum passed, I didn't know how to ask for help. I just didn't. I didn't know how to accept help for anyone but her, really. It was, it was a pride thing. She was the only one that I allowed myself to feel safe with that that I wasn't gonna get judged and that um they weren't going to see me as weak, I suppose to need support and need help. What a load of bullshit that is <laughs> you know it, it losing someone in that way and being in that in that 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 place that I was it taught me that it was actually okay not to be okay. And the thing is, we all know this concept. We say it, we hashtag it, but do we live it? I had to approach my new employer and tell them what was going on with my life. And I'll be honest, I was petrified. I thought that by telling them where I was at, that they were gonna treat me differently, that they were gonna roll their eyes and think, oh shit, you know, what what have we taken on here? Um, I felt like I was gonna let them down before I'd even begun. But what I actually found was that my news was met with compassion, and I was treated with dignity and respect. They treated me like an adult, and they asked me to be as honest as I could with what I felt I could do and give, and that they would meet me there. Um, And they did. And you know, keeping in mind, these were, apart from a few interviews, right, these were complete strangers. I'd never met them prior to that but then i'd never felt so supported in a job before so i will always be grateful to jackie and matt at recruitment juice for their understanding and their support losing mum also taught me that you can feel like you don't have a fucking clue who you are anymore you can feel completely stripped of your personal identity and even from that place you can rebuild and i suppose lastly grief taught me that gratitude is the thing that will set you free. It is the answer. The nights that I would lie awake replaying each situation, thinking about ways that I could have supported her more, thinking about, you know, processing the guilt and replaying scenes. Gratitude is always the thing that would serve me. And I think this is true in any desperate situation. Gratitude really does help you focus on not only what you can be grateful for, even, and I suppose that's what I want to say, even in the difficulty and the adversity, what I found was the more gratitude there is, the less sufferings there is. You know, the things you have in your life, the importance you place on revenue, the revenue your business brings and the analytics on your website or social media posts, the tummy that you desperately wish was as flat as it was when it was twenty when you were 20. <laughs> they might be important things, but when you really take a step back and think about all of the things that you are grateful for in your life, even if these things are actually adversity that you face, it will show you what's truly important to you. And these, it's, it's these things that we should actually be putting on a pedestal. It's the relationships that you have with others and the relationship with yourself that are the things that cannot be replaced. And those lessons were truly life-changing for me. And I'm so grateful for that experience now, in hindsight, looking back on it. The second big lesson. The second big lesson for me was inherited beliefs. So roll on a couple of years, in November 2019, um, so a couple of years into my new job that I've just told you about, I found myself on a train to London, about to tell my boss what my plans were, and I was absolutely shitting myself, (laughs) I was about to walk away from the biggest thing that I'd been taught from my parents, the most important thing that you could possibly have, and that was security. Roll on to May 2020, and I was finally setting up Thrive Life and Business. And to be honest, I'd felt very impressed with myself to have gotten that far. Um, And I also naively thought that I'd worked through all of my own shit. I thought I'd processed all my own shit, but how wrong was I? Setting up a business will without doubt show you all of the unhealed part of yourself. It will mirror back to you the things that you thought you'd work through. Um, and it was pretty hilarious really, because I'd spent 15 years in people development. <laughs> I'd heavily invested myself in myself, um, particularly the year before in 2018 with my own coach. So you can imagine my despair when every single one of my insecurities and fears came around each day for a let's fuck Nikki over party. Well, I tried to show up and make a success of my new business. Um, and it's this, it's, it's here, it's this where all of my inherited beliefs showed up. Um, what I found is when I was in employment, I could blame my surroundings for the way that I was it wasn't me, it was out there, it was the environment, the people, the situations, the clients, the colleagues, the bosses, the culture, the processes, the systems, the commission scheme, you know, it was, it was so easy to hide behind those things, it's so easy to avoid your own shit, so easy, but when you set up your own business and it's just you, there is nowhere to hide and here's what I found, it it uncovered, it definitely uncovered firstly, an inherited belief that if you weren't working 50 hours a week plus, you weren't working hard enough. Now, on the surface, we mask this work ethic. You know, we say, you know, we almost do it as like a thing to be proud of. Really, really good work ethic. But actually, it's really pretty damaging, actually, And I say this to my Thrive Together members, if we don't know when to stop, if we haven't got the discipline to know where to draw a line each day, how does our brain know when it's allowed to rest? It doesn't. And therefore, what's your brain going to do when it doesn't know when it's allowed to rest? Well, it forces rest. It forces rest through mindless activities, scrolling on Instagram, distraction, mindless eating, drinking. This is the stuff that burnout is made from. And it's destructive. And I can see that I inherited this belief of hard work from my parents. My dad worked on the the docks near Liverpool. My mum worked in the Cadbury's factory in Morton on the Wirral. And yes, we did used to get boxes of the chocolate that never made it to the shelves. And yes, it was epic. But their work ethic sounded like work hard, pay your mortgage off as quickly as you can, keep whatever job you have because you are lucky to have one. And don't worry if you don't like your job. Just do as much overtime as you can get. (laughs) And it was those beliefs at the beginning of my business that kept me aimlessly busy. A busy fool wearing my busy badge with pride. If you haven't already listened to it after this episode, go ahead and listen to episode 21. Um, It's called Busy, Burned Out and Over It. But anyway, back on topic. I was making things more difficult than they had to be. I was making things hard so that I could be busy. Um, And I soon learned that without me, there was no business. And if I was going to carry on the way I was going, there would be no me and there would be no business. I was quite literally running myself into the ground. So recognize this, working more doesn't necessarily mean achieving more. If you haven't worked on feeling good enough, If one of your insecurities is not feeling good enough, then it's likely that you are doing more and giving more to compensate for that, which is why doing the inner work must come first. It simply must. And that's the last thing that I wanted to tell you that I've learned from inherited beliefs, which was actually quite surprising to me. And it links to the story I mentioned in my first point when I got off that train and told Matt, my previous boss, that I planned to quit my job and set up on my own. After he'd picked his jaw up off the floor <laughs> and we started discussing it and how I was going to exit, he started talking to me about it and what my plans were. And I will never forget, he said to me, Nick, it's great. You simply can't fail. And those words, they, they honestly, they've, they've stuck with me all the way through to today. You simply can't fail. Those words were so impactful because I really respected him. I respect him, but I really respected him. He had built his own business at the time and was in a position that I wanted to be. I wanted to strive to be in myself. So to hear him say those words, although he probably doesn't even know what he said and might not even remember saying it, those words carried me through some really tough times in the first year of my business. Um, And you might be thinking, oh, that's nice, but where's the lesson? (laughs) Here it is. The lesson from this actually only came to me January this year. So over a year later, I was on a call with a one-to-one client and we were reviewing her business plans. And I found myself saying exactly the same words to her. I said, you know, this is really good. You simply can't fail. And I meant it. You know, I wasn't saying it because I knew the impact it had to me. If anything, that was subconscious. I really meant it. But what I noticed, instantly I noticed the look completely changed on her face. I noticed she lit up, her breathing changed, she looked hopeful. And in that moment I thought, why do we have to hear it from someone else to believe it for ourselves? Why does it take for external validation for us to believe in ourselves? And I mean it, like, seriously, his words, they carried me. I've had some pretty tough times in the first year of my business. And when I when I thought about it, I realised this same theory applied to every piece of evidence that I've built in my mind about why I should continue. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've spilt my guts out to my husband and in his very own special Jimmy way, with his truth and brutal honesty and support, unconditional support, and patience, and love, and kindness, he has reminded me how normal it is to be experiencing the experiences that we have, and to calm the fuck down, <laughs> you know, and the thing that I realised is anyone whose words resonate with me, and, and I can recall, and they can pick me up out of times of desperation and grief, the thing that I realised that made their words so impactful was the integrity in their truth. And this was the same for my mum, actually, when she was alive. I realised the people who had the ability to uplift me with their words, they were the truth tellers. They didn't say words just because that's what they thought you wanted to hear. They listened. They really listened intently. They didn't listen to fix. They listened intently. And you just knew that whatever came out of their mouths was truth. And it always came from a place of love. Now, one of the things that I'm not going to hold back from admitting to you is at the beginning of my business, I was in a place of deep self-loathing, real self-loathing. And I mean, physically, spiritually, emotionally, in any way I could beat myself up, I beat myself up. (laughs) And maybe this is something I'll go into in a little bit more detail later on. But this whole thing taught me that I didn't have to wait for someone external to me to cheer me on with honesty and true words of encouragement, I could do that for myself. Actually, at this point, I want to share a resource with you because I got some feedback from the last episode that sharing resources in the episode, not just directing you to them after, really is quite helpful. So I am currently looking at page 265 of Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. And it's an interview with Scott Adams where he's talking about affirmations Um, So I'm just going to read it to you. He says, so this is on the topic of affirmations and why they work when you use pen and paper. He says, Here's why I think it seems to work, and there are several possibilities. One is something I learned long ago, and I forget who coined it, but have you ever heard the phrase reticular activation? It's It's basically the idea that it's easy to hear your own name spoken in a crowd. You'll hear in the background noise, blah, 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 Tim Ferriss, blah, 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 blah. And you'll think, how did I hear that one thing in this whole bunch of crowd noise? Basically, your brain isn't capable of processing everything in its environment or even coming close. So the best it can do is set up these little filters. And the way it sets filters is by what you pay attention to. It's what you spend the most energy on. That's how you set your filter So your filter is automatically set for your name because that's the thing that matters most to you. But you can use affirmations, presumably. This is just a hypothesis to focus your mind and memory on a very specific thing. And that would allow you to notice things in your environment that might have already been there. It's just that your filter was set to ignore. And then you just tune it to this memory and repetition trick until it widens a little bit to allow some extra stuff in. Now there is some science to back that, so I'll stop reading there, but the th- the point that I want you to take from that is, your brain, it's sh- it's wired to tune into what you focus and pay attention to, and that is habitual, so sometimes it's on you to rewire your brain to pay attention to the right stuff, and so I made a commitment, regardless of the external results, regardless of what I could see in my bank account, regardless of who was contacted me for a consultation call, I promised myself that I would cheer myself on, not proactively, sorry, (laughs) reactively, proactively, every single day. I would make a point of cheering myself on. I would make a point of noticing the good that had come out of each day. And I would practice having conscious thoughts and I would try and lean towards encouragement and empowerment. That was a game changer for me. And so the lesson that I really want you to take from it is you don't have to wait for someone else to give you that encouragement. You don't have to wait for someone else to empower you and show you evidence of your ability and your potential. You can give that to yourself. So the final lesson is my zero months. Um, in the first year of my business, I'm talking about the months where I've commercially flopped the months that I've flatlined or been close to flatlining. There are a few lessons in this one, so I am going to try and keep it succinct, but bear with me. Um, The first one is learning what's really important, and it's very easy, regardless of what industry you're in, to get hung up on vanity metrics. So if you run a team, it'll look like how liked you feel by your team members. If you're on social media, it'll look like how many like shapes saves and shares you have on the posts that you're that you're posting if you have a podcast it'll be how many downloads your episodes have what your retention rate was if you have a product-based business it'll be how many nice reviews you get I I think that you you can get the picture (laughs) but here's the thing these metrics are important yes but they're not the be-all and end-all And what this wakes you up to is where you're coming from, your intent, your why. Because once you get clear on your intent, it does not matter if you get two likes or 2,000 likes. It doesn't matter about the vanity metrics when you get clear on your why. And I'll admit, you know, there have been times where I have compared myself, times where I've focused on the vanity metrics and I've obsessed over them. And nothing good ever came from that because it wasn't linked to my intent, my why. My why is not about how many followers I have on social media or how aesthetically pleasing my website looks. My why is about the people I am here to serve. So I realised that changing my values, or probably better put, realigning my values, helped me to realign the metrics I was using to determine my success which then helps you assess if you are really spending your time well. And there was absolutely times, surprise, surprise, correlated with my flatline months, that I was absolutely focusing on the vanity metrics. I was far too invested in vanity. Fucking hell, this is huge. Like, The first thing that I want to say on this is, if you're not a content creator, like I am, so on social media, on podcasts, but you're listening to this, you're a team leader or a manager, this totally applies, like I said before, With online social media, it's so easy to get consumed with the likes, with the nods of affirmation that come from people commenting, sharing. But this is the same in real life. It is so easy as a leader to get consumed with wanting the metaphorical likes in real life. And I'm not ashamed of this, and you shouldn't be either you know, we shouldn't carry shame around it. It's human nature, but it is constantly pumped into our psyche, especially as a woman. There feels like this constant pressure to be nice and kind or risk being a stuck-up bitch who thinks she's full of herself, you know? What I noticed about myself when I was reading um, Traction by Gino Wickman, if you run a business, you need to read this book. I will link it in the show notes. Um, But when I was reading that, it starts to really help you to pay attention to the measures that you're using to track your success and what success means to you in your business. And this is such a good exercise because your success measurements need to be explicitly linked to your goal, your why. And my goal, my why, is to support leaders as many leaders as I can, and create a ripple effect with my work, so that with each leader that I work with, that ripple effect goes into their life and in their business, so they can truly thrive. Do you see what I did there? (laughs) But can I track that with likes? Can I shite? So I had to take a really hard look at what my ego wanted, and what my soul wanted, and I had to make a choice. And I'm happy to say that when I did, the game changed creating content became easier because I was coming from a place of service, not self. I could show up and release a podcast episode each week because I focused on impact, not listener count. So this change made it easier for me to show up. It made it easier for me to create content because when you stop creating content from a place of likes and exposure and start creating content as a body of work that will truly help the people that you want to serve, you show up for four people just as you would show up for 40,000 people. You bring the same energy. You know, you don't think, well, if I had a bigger following or more admiration and more likes, I'd be bringing more energy. That's being led by the ego. Be led by your mission. You see, that's where things change. When your focus is on helping others and not gaining likes, in inverted commas, in whatever form they come in, it changes your course of action. And let me drill it down even more specifically, just in case that it sounds like helping others makes me sound like some sort of saint. I want to be really transparent. I want to help as many leaders as I can with what I have available. This is intrinsically connected to my commercial goals because I truly believe that nobody should be a starving artist. I refuse to accept crumbs on my journey. It is not noble. There is £26.5 trillion, that's $36 trillion in circulation in this world. And I'm not going to be a leader who accepts pennies to create my life's work. And I don't want that for you either. No matter how strong your why or purpose is, likes, pats on the back, your mum being proudier, helping people for free in your DMs so that they think the sun shines out your arse, it's not helping. You might think that that's helping, but actually it's that's not, that's just connected to your ego. It's not helping because if you really want to support people in their transformation, part of that transformation is their commitment to change, which is usually fueled by their investment, not their thumb double tapping on a screen. So the next time you want to hide behind, but I'm spending five hours a day creating content so that I can help people, call yourself out on bullshit. It's not paying your bills. Therefore, it's not funding your mission. My hope for you is that you make your mission clear and you make your mission connected to how you can serve and how you can be an instrument of good over how you can be adored, liked, credible, respected, accepted you know, yeah, so rant over, (laughs) the next point um, is actually, but still on the same like zero flatlining point, the next point on the months that I was commercially unsuccessful is I really learned about my own entitlement, so I journaled a lot through these months and I allowed parts of myself that I would normally be very ashamed of, I allowed them to really come out, in full (laughs) colour. But what I saw, you know, before this episode, I actually pulled out my journals from those times, and I was reading through them, and what I saw, what I can see, is entitlement. Here's how it sounded. It sounds like, but I'm working so hard, I'm putting in so much effort, and I've hired a coach, and and I'm doing all this inner work, and that coach over there is dancing around, and bleating on around, surrendering to her femininity, and she's having 10k months, and I'm doing shite, I'm not even messing, like, some of the stuff that I've written down, this is the stuff that I would actually think, and to make matters worse, I would continue my entitlement by buying into the tricks and hacks that were being sold to me. And I will admit, in those times, I made some pretty poor and desperate investment choices. I bought courses that served the part of me that felt insecure by thinking that if I just did what that guru says, it would fix the problem. And it didn't. I bought done-for-you social media kits thinking that it could fast-track me to the level of success that the people that were selling it were having. It didn't (laughs) because here's the thing, anyone you compare yourself to who is in your eyes doing really, really well, being really successful, they have paid the price. You don't get to skip the work and by work, I mean the inner work and the business work. You just don't, you don't get to skip that so those months where I was panicking, wondering if I'd made the right choice by leaving my, leaving my well-paid job, doing the late night re- like searches for job opportunities just in case I needed to go back into employment, those actions, they came from a place of entitlement. They came from a version of me who just expected the world to give a shit. They came from a version of me whose why, whose mission was not strong enough. Because the version of me that is talking to you today, she turns up regardless of one of you listening or one million of you listening. I have learned now that the vanity metrics support a vanity why. Okay, so the next point of what my zero months taught me is how grateful I am to the people around me, my husband especially. My view, my personal view on relationships is that you either grow together or you grow apart. And I can't begin to explain how people around me have stepped up to support me when I've literally been on my knees in small and in big ways, the clients who've invested in themselves with me to create their transformation, the friends who shared my services or talked about me in a room of people where they knew that there will be opportunities, my family who showed up for me in no uncertain terms to show me how unconditionally supported I am. Great thing about not having commercial success is when your financial stability depends on it, it strips everything right back. It shows you what matters and what doesn't. It shows you who you really are and why you're really here. Having commercially unsuccessful months taught me to respect my time and value my worth. And the irony is when you have a job, you fight so hard to increase your worth in inverted commas, your worth, you literally pitch for the pay rise, and as soon as you get your own business, it's hilarious, you jib all of that off, because you could be bringing in 5k a month, but if you're working a 60 plus hour week, that means your hourly rate is like 20 pounds an hour or something, you know, it's like, you forget what you're doing, You, you lose all focus on what is important, so those months, they showed me, who was gonna be really there for me and how I really needed to be there for myself, you know? And that point I just made on how you're valuing your time. Are you, like if, I want you to think about if you were gonna apply for a job now, what minimum wage would you accept? And if you take a really hard look at the way you're working right now and you split your personal pay out over that amount of time, does it show you that you're really respecting your own time? Are you really valuing your own time? It's this kind of exercise that will help you focus. It will help you put the blinkers on and it will help you do the impactful work, not the busy work. That is the kind of wake-up call that will help you push past your fears of being judged or seen or rejected or failing and actually help you do the things that require courage. It's this kind of realisation that will help you say no to the shiny opportunities when you are clear on your mission and your worth and your why. And finally, having shite months commercially helped me to trust the process. It really helped me to trust myself when I couldn't control what was going on around me or I felt like I couldn't. And I actually, I couldn't, like, it's true, like, I couldn't control what I could see right in front of me. It's so easy. When you only see what's in front of you, and you haven't got a pipeline, things aren't looking great, it's so easy to get emotionally sucked into that space, and your actions become a reflection of where your energy is going inside. You, be, you, you come from a place of scarcity, you feel like a victim, But if you can trust the process, if you can have faith that one step after another after another is building something, it's taking you closer and closer to your goal. With each step that you take, you make achieving your goal more and more inevitable, you know? It's in those moments where you will see what happens with incremental steps. It's in those moments where you will glean the lessons, you will glean the learning and you will refine and iterate and you will feel proud and most importantly you will see results unfold when you trust and take action from an intentional place that is connected to your why. What is beautiful about being at rock bottom commercially is you find abundance in the things that aren't 5k, 10k months, that first sip of coffee each day, or the birdie bush in next door's garden where all the little birds sing really early in the morning, or the clear nights where you can see the stars, or the client calls where you can see the impact you're having, or the support that people around you will offer, you will see all of those things. If you hold on to faith, not hold on to faith, if you cultivate faith, if you practice faith, you can become pretty unstoppable, actually. And that's the thing about rock bottoms. They will always crack you open. And it's in those cracks that you realise who you really are, why you're really here, what is really important. So to finish this episode, I would love to hear from you maybe you've just come through some tough times, maybe you're smack bang in the middle of them, regardless of where you're at, I would love to hear what this episode has brought up for you, and most importantly, of course, like your key takeaways, what is it that you're going to be doing more of, less of, different, what perspective shifts have you had, you know? So don't hesitate to get in touch with me, I absolutely love it when you get in touch with me and you say, I listened to that and here's what I talk, and here's what I'm going to do. Thanks for sticking through this episode with me. It's been an emotional one. <laughs> There'll probably be some tears edited out, but um, thank you. As always, thank you as always for tuning in and I will see you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. For me, it was a real experience working through my own toughest lessons in life and in business and gleaning the lessons from them. So thank you for letting me share those with you. Before you go, I want to let you know of an upcoming change. Thrive Together will be increasing in price as it increases in value. For new members from the 14th of May, the price will be increasing. So I am inviting you to join with open arms as these will be the last couple of weeks on the Founders Rate. The link is in the show notes. Thank you as always for tuning in today. If my ramblings have resonated, I would love it if you would share your key takeaways with me. And if you're feeling super generous over on iTunes, leave me a review or share this podcast episode with another leader or friend who you think would benefit from tuning in. And with that, I'm going to see you in the next episode.